Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Life Source uh, live stream here at the church building. And uh, welcome to all of our church family, our brothers and sisters. And uh, if you're just uh, popping on for the first time, or if you've been a few times and, and I don't know you, my name's Jamie King, and uh, I also extend a special greeting to you. Um, today is a beautiful day. God's mercy is in you every morning. And I'm so thankful that we can all be together and, and uh, we can worship God. We can receive from God. So can I encourage us all to open up our hearts right now as, as uh, we share around the word and, uh, and receive the, the words of Jesus Christ. We do thank you for everyone who's been giving. Uh, pretty much all of it's been happening online at the moment. But if, you, if you're struggling to, to give online and you're struggling with some of the technicalities, uh, it's really easy on the, on the LifeSource app. If you haven't downloaded that, download it. And, uh, and if you don't know how to, then leave a comment and uh, ask someone in our team to help you. And, and whatever platform you're watching on, uh, leave a comment, say hello, let us know you're listening. And, uh, and what God is teaching you. And if you're, if you're new or, or if you need prayer for anything, hey, also, leave a comment. We'd love to get into contact with you. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, I'm going to share a word around, uh, a reflection around the cross before we step into some worship with Reuben Sebastian. And, and uh, I was preparing this word yesterday and I was satisfied with it and then I woke up this morning and, and God said, Jamie, that word was so yesterday. I've got fresh bread. Come on, get up out of bed. And uh, it, was, it was nice and maybe a bit annoying, but I've never regretted getting up early to, uh, to hear from God. He's always got good stuff. So I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 5, if we could all open our Bibles. And uh, I'll read from verse 10 and 11. And it says, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So if we're in Christ, we have eternal life. We have all things that pertain to life. And it's easy to forget these truths. Uh, any day of the week when something comes up or when things threaten to overwhelm us, it can be really easy to forget the truths that, that we have the testimony of the Son of God. But God hasn't called us to go from calamity to calamity and disorder to chaos, as He's called us to go from strength to strength and glory to glory. But how do we, how do we move forward in, uh, the Bible calls it triumphal procession, continually moving forward and, and not uh, falling into the same traps and the same thought patterns that aren't from God. Well, we do it by, as this word says, we keep the testimony before ourselves 
all the time. What is our testimony? What is your testimony? Your testimony is that you have the life of the Son of God. You're in Christ. This isn't an abstract idea. It's, it's not something that uh, we just read in Scripture and, and it's, it's too hard to interpret. It's, it's not something that God has even just spoken and done nothing about. God's done something about it. What did God do about this? I'm going to turn to Leviticus uh, 17. My favorite book in the Bible. Read from verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. You know, church, there is life in the blood of Jesus. There is life in the blood of Jesus. And we have life because he shed his blood on our behalf as an atoning sacrifice. Our sin has been paid for by the one who knew no sin. We have a new legally binding contract that's written with the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, God can't change his mind. He's never going to. He said it. He's done it. So can I encourage us? Let's keep his testimony before us all the time. Remembering God's testimony in you, remembering the blood of Jesus Christ that has covered all of your sin and shame and washed it all away. It's not a, it's not a Sunday thing. It's, it's not just for right now. This is a Sunday is where we, we tend to do it together. And there's a real power in that. But we remember it every single day. How do we not let the things in life overcome us? We keep the testimony before us. We remember what God has done for us. And when we remember it continually, we're able to live in it. So remembrance of the blood of Jesus is not just a corporate thing. It's not just a together thing. It's an individual thing. It's for you every single day of the week. The minute you open your eyes and wake up, it's an opportunity for you to say, thank you, Jesus. That you have saved me by your blood and you have set me free and adopted me. I am a son of God now with you. You have shared yourself with me. Thank you that I am set free by your blood. And when we do it individually, we can meet up with Christians during the week and we can remember it together. And it gets easier to remember it together. Sometimes it feels a little bit awkward just talking about Jesus if we're not used to thinking about Jesus in our spare time. So let's keep this testimony before us. We have been freed by the blood of Jesus Christ and there's no turning back. Let's remember it every day. Church, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you gave your one and only Son who came to this earth to live a perfect life free from sin and to shed his blood on our behalf to atone 
For the debt that we owed, we were spared the judgment of God because your son took it on himself when he took all of our sin. We thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice that you made and that you went down into the grave and that you rose again without it. You intercede on our behalf and one day you will return. We thank you, God, that we have the right as sons of God because you wrote a new contract in your very blood. And in you, Jesus, in no other, there is eternal life and no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So we open up our hearts to you this morning, Lord. We remember what you did. We worship you and we love you. And we want to hear what you have to say, Lord God. And we want to be changed. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. We receive from you. And we worship you. Have your way in our hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's uh, so good to see you all. Even though you're not here in person, in presence, it's good to know that you're sitting on your couch or laying in your bed or even sitting in your car somewhere watching and joining with us on so nice to be able to sing and give praise and glory to God and even invite him by the Holy Spirit to come this morning as uh, Reuben has so wonderfully done. I'd like to read us a psalm and uh, I believe this psalm is you know, going to speak deeply to our hearts this morning and uh, so just Open your ears and open your hearts to the Lord this morning as we read what was written by King David. And Psalm 62 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. How long? Will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. There's a pause there. It says, Selah. Reflect and think. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. The only, oh sorry, he only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. O oh God, rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him all, at all times. O oh people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in exhortation. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken twice, have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. 
What an important statement that that is, to hear once and then a second time that power belongs to God and to God alone. But it's not just power that belongs to God. We ought to understand that power is found in love. And it's the love of God, the very nature and personhood of God our Father. Let's pray, church. Lord, we, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you that as we listen to your word and we sing your songs, that we position ourselves to hear from you. As your word says, by the very lips of King David in the pen that he wrote, I will not be greatly shaken. Lord, we find our security in you. Things may be raging around us and we might not be able to make sense of all that seems to come against us. But honestly, we will not be shaken greatly. We find our hope in you. Lord, what a joy it is to know you to know you by your son Jesus and to experience you by the presence of your Holy Spirit who lives inside of each of us and who clothes us with power from on high Lord lift up our gaze with your gentle fingers under our chins to look to you in whom we find great refuge Holy Spirit, you are truly welcome in our homes, in our hearts, and in our families. We bless you today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Amen, what a nice time of singing. And Reuben will be back with us at the end of our service today, singing a song more like an item for us at the end of the service. But uh, many of you would know the song, and, and I'm hoping that you could sing along with him at home, wherever you are. Yeah, we're in our third week today of um, looking at church transformation. And I'd love to jump into this word as quick as I can and uh, really just get into what is happening uh, and around to, to keep our eyes focused on the, the, the important things. Last week I spoke a little bit about change and, and how our hearts need to be uh, positioned for change, how our hearts need to be ready for change. And in fact, we're change agents. That God has ch called the church to be change agents, which means that change happens first in the church. And when we, when we, we grab hold of that concept, we no longer become negative to change. We embrace change because we need to be the agents of change in our community. You know, the gospel it never changes. It's founded on a God who never changes. And that's what I said last week. But the means and the way that we, we present God and the ways and means that we present Jesus to our community, it always has to stay contemporary. It always has to stay up to date. It never waters down the message, but change is important. And uh, we carry that message. That's why we sing different songs all the time, because it keeps us contemporary. It keeps the message relevant to different people. And uh, we'll learn more of that as we look at our different shifts. And uh, last week I finished by saying we're going to look at seven shifts. And I'm, I'm really thinking that while we're in our lockdown period and, and even coming back to church when we can do so, uh, that I'd really like to touch on these seven shifts over the next seven weeks. And, uh, and just keep us focused on the things that God has already put in place and keep us moving in the things that he wants us to focus on. So we don't lose hope and we don't lose traction and we don't lose focus on the things that God has called us to do. Amen. So we're looking here and we've got 
the first shift is really a, a shift of power. And understanding that the first shift belongs in a power shift and it means that we need to become a praying community. This is our first shift, a praying community. We've got this quote here. This comes from the book that I'm talking about, um, Transforming Your Church. And uh, Becoming a Praying Community says, A strategic shift is a change of thinking inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I think it's good for us to understand that this is a, a good Christian viewpoint on strategy and strategic shift. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit, resulting in a change of behavior that produces a greater effectiveness in fulfilling the purposes of God for this moment in history. Are you drawing air with your lungs today? And if you are, that means that God has purposed you for this moment in time, this moment of history. And, and we can either go along in our journeys focused upon ourselves and focused upon the things that we believe are important, or we can listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and seek the strat strategic shift in this moment that produces greater effectiveness by the attitude shift, the changes of behavior that we make as individuals and as a church body together to fulfill the purposes of God in this time. That's who we're called to be. And that's why it's so important to look at these things as a church and to be upon these together. In Psalm 62, you might have heard me say, in uh, verse 11, it said that power belongs to God. How amazing is that? That all power is found in God. Which means that I am not powerful in any way, shape or form. And that applies to each and every individual listening to my voice this morning. You're not a powerful person because you're strong physically or emotionally or even mentally in your mind. But you're strong because God says you're strong. And power is found in him first and foremost. Moving on there, we see that the first shift that we need to be prepared to implement, it means we must be willing to accept and change is this power shift. Because power belongs first and foremost to God. It's a strategic shift from self-confidence to a greater dependence on God. In this change, we recognize that God gives the blueprint remember last week i was saying that god or sorry two weeks ago i was saying that god is working on his master project the church well what it does is he he provides the blueprint and that blueprint we get to follow comes from the word and it comes from the witness of the holy spirit and it comes from this point that it comes from the power and the might of god zechariah says it this way he writes uh not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's not by might, it's not by strength, it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Thinking about a couple of stories this week, and I apologize if you've heard this story somewhere along the line, if you've had anything to do with me and, and leading and things like that, you would have heard this story before, but I think it's a, a really good story to help me focus on this one point that God, that pride goes before the fall when i was a bit younger i was doing a um a certificate studies uh, in particular around um, ministry and one of the assignments that was set for me was to 
um, review, in, in, in fact write some papers on going to other churches and assessing their worship style. Now, a young man would think straight away, well, that's assessing the way that they sing worship to God. But ultimately, the challenge was that we needed to look at the entire church service as a form of worship and as, as a form of uh, surrender and sacrifice to God and that sense of serving God with a heart of ministry. So the, the task was simple, to assess two different churches from the style that you were in and, and review that and report on that and then make it a, an assessment on that. So in other words, judge that if you want to use the negative terms. Now that's the way I looked at that as a young man. I was, I was not young, old, old, it was about maybe 20 years ago now and I was looking at this stuff and, and I remember I didn't have the time. I was a youth leader at the time. I was working a lot of hours, you know, maybe 55, 60 hours a week running the youth group and, uh, and you know, I had a young family. My firstborn son had come along and I was doing studies. All of this stuff was going on and I thought, well, I don't have the time and I'm so involved in my church life, I don't have the time to lose two Sundays and go and see another church service. So I went, so I didn't go to another church service. I assessed it upon my remembrance, my memory of what happened when I used to attend these kinds of churches. And I assessed two local churches, uh, more of the traditional vein. And I remember when I wrote about them, my viewpoint was so full of pride, was so... Um, the way I'm doing things is so much better than the way that they're doing things. And, and as I submitted that, I thought, God, I'm going to go really well with this assessment. You know, I almost failed that assessment. And I remember how harsh my marker was in his comments in return to me. And those comments being, um, how dare I judge another church of God for their worship? How dare I call to account the things that these people were doing as they loved God and they were trying to reveal that to God. You know, pride always comes before the fall. And I remember I took that criticism so harshly. But that was an important step for me in my development because it means that today I don't judge those churches in the same way. I look for the places that we have common ground. I look for the words of Jesus in his church and I look for the ways that they worship and I understand that I could probably glean some of the things from them to help me to become a greater worshipper of God or even a greater prayer, more intimate with God today. Yeah, pride definitely comes before the fall. I remember even um, just as another short story, uh, many of you wouldn't have heard this one, uh, when I was, I was probably about eight or nine years old, maybe even 10 years old, and we used to have a little DS80 motorcycle. And I loved that little motorcycle. Couldn't wait to get home from school and go for a ride or couldn't wait to, to get home and uh, on school holidays and just spend the entire day riding this little dirt bike around. It got so bad that Dad, you know, me and my three, my two younger brothers, because at this stage my older brother was too big to ride it, Dad had to limit how much fuel we were using to two tanks a week because uh, obviously we were riding it so, so very much. And I remember, you know, at that age, you're just starting to stretch the boundaries and test. And we was, I started to ride around areas of the farm that I wasn't normally allowed to ride around. And I remember flying down this back headland of the orange farm and not really knowing where I was going. There was long grass and stuff going everywhere. But, you know, I could do all things, right? And uh, I, I could see what's coming so I could, I could handle whatever was going to be thrown at me. And, and I got to this real long patch and I was, I was in top gear and I was hammering down this headland. 
and I didn't see it until it was too late and I hit this, I hit this uh, supply furrow where the water would come down and, uh, and I ended up flipping the motorbike and I busted up the handlebars and bent it up and I was riding it like this afterward and I burnt my leg really badly and uh, you know, I was really, really sore and I was kicking myself for ages. How could I do such a stupid thing? Surely I would ride down that, that, that headland and just check for any dangers. But no, I was young and dumb. And think about that. Pride always comes before the fall. And in this case, I could do all things. And I was good enough. But I hit that furrow anyway. And I flipped the bike. And I had to learn a lesson. Wisdom really is submission to God in all areas. So I think about these things and, and I think about how simple these lessons may seem to you. But the reality for all of us is that we need to come to terms that without God, we can do nothing. I wonder how many times we, we've struggled to do it our way. All on our own. Not asking God. Knowing that God is there, willing and able, but we're not willing to ask God for help. I think about a biblical lesson for us, and, and this one comes directly from the book, but it comes directly from the word first. You've got to remember that. During Israel's history, we see the pattern constantly happen. Pride before the fall all the time. And you know, it was their words that came up with, with where we come with that text today. People cry out to God. They are helped by God. Then they're overcome when they're caught up sitting on their laurels as they again find confidence in themselves. It's a pattern throughout humanity. We, we find that we can't do something. We cry out to God or we cry out to our parents or we cry out to someone who's able to assist us. And then we become self-confident again and we forget all of the help that we had along the way. Self-reliance, pride and often arrogance get in the way. You know, just in, as you can see, those reflections of my own, how strongly I might be speaking to myself here. Asa, in 2 Chronicles, becomes king of Judah. 2 Chronicles 14. King Asa is a classic case of this exact thing happening. Early in his reign, Zerah, of the king of Ethiopia, he comes out to war with him. Now Zerah has a mighty army, about a million soldiers, and he has 300 chariots. Now that's, that's like taking 300 and the sorts. King Asa, the king of Judah, his army was meagre in comparison really if you just look at judah he had three hundred thousand fighting men with spears and shields no chariots but then when you combine benjamin the tribe of benjamin with him there's another two hundred eighty thousand fighting men so so just over half a million so you could see here that king asa king asa trusted not in his men king asa goes to war with half as many people, he's outnumbered one to two. And his first thing to do is to cry out to God. They were outnumbered. And he called out to God in his dilemma. Second Chronicles 14.11 says, And Asa cried out to God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. See how humble he is. O Lord, our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord... You are our God, let not man prevail against you. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar, and the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive. 
for they were prophet Azariah. Second Chronicles 15 begins, The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Odeb, Oded, sorry, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. Hear those words? If you seek him. But if you forsake him, he, that is God, will forsake you. And yet, we see there's about 35 years where this king seeks God and this king has uh, peace amongst his people. But after this, about the 36th year, we see this reliance and this dependence on God beginning to slip. Self-confidence creeps in, which brings pride and arrogance. And the prophet's warning is missed. Tensions rose between the king of Israel and the king of Judah. Remember, the, the nations were divided at this time. And uh, as, as tensions rose, instead of turning to God in prayer, Asa turned to another earthly king for help. And God's answer was swift. Second Chronicles chapter 16, just the next chapter, verse 7 to 10 says, At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Now we often quote that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro without the full context. It's a heart that is abandoned to him in faith that he's looking for. Ananias is this. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison. Asa punishes the seer, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. See, pride before the fall, right? And we don't know much about Asa after that, but we know that he loses his kingdom. And Asa starts out so strong, so mighty in his faith toward God that they, they, they win this amazing victory. And then we find that after 36 years of walking with the Lord, he makes this mistake and relies upon another man. Oh, how self-confidence and pride can quickly destroy the testimony of our Lord. Mark Connor wrote in the book, prayer is moving from independence to interdependence. That is, from a self-confidence to God-confidence, is near my words. Paul said this in Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul understood this. Never once did Paul stray from understanding that it was God who has the power. It is God who owns the cattle on a thousand hill. It is God himself who strengthens him when he is weak and God is strong. This is confidence and humility in perfect harmony and God makes this available. So we're talking about a power shift. We're talking about uh, 
shifting from self-confidence and pride and humility, a, a, a lack of humility, and we're moving into a confidence in the power of God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or think or imagine. Have you ever thought about what that looks like? And how you do that is, is really in this place of prayer. So why pray? Well, when we don't pray, we're communicating to God that we can do it ourselves. Yet, if we would include God in all aspects of our lives through prayer, we would experience so much more of his blessings and provisions. Jesus said it like this. In John 5, 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. How did Jesus see what God was doing? Well, it was in those times that he would withdraw and pray. Again, Jesus would say in John 8, 28, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. It's interesting. John 12, again, Jesus in verse 49 and 50, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This authority did not come with Jesus at birth. This authority came as Jesus unpacked the scriptures in prayer with God. And God revealed his eternal purpose to him through his given life at the cross. As Jesus understood this, he was able to teach with deep authority and great conviction. And what we find is he instructs us to abide. He instructs us in this place that the truth is that we can do nothing of lasting value or eternal worth without God's help. It is only when we are connected to God through prayer that we can be fruitful in our lives. John 15, 1-8 says it like this. I'd like to read the whole verse. It says, I am the true vine, this is Jesus, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that, he, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, hear this church, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What an amazing analogy, amazing picture that Jesus gives us. Because what good is it? What, 
What use is a branch that has been cut from the tree? It only has a use of shriveling and dying. Abiding means that we're praying to God and we're hearing from God and we're positioning ourselves and with purpose in God and, and that we understand this, that with, apart from God we can do nothing. Nothing. Apart from God, I can't even wake in the morning. Apart from God, I can't provide for my family. Apart from God, I can't speak to you this word of truth. So what is prayer? Well, prayer is in its most basic form talking to Jesus. It is two-way communication where we make our thoughts and feelings known to God and he in turn shares with us. Prayer may involve praise, worship, giving thanks, presenting requests to God, praying for others, listening, meditating, or waiting in stillness. Each one of those are very important. Now you might not be able to do those in one sitting. It might take you all day to be able to do something like that. But understand that these are forms of prayer and ways that we can commune with our God. Prayer is taking time to be intimate with God in communication. Mark Connor writes, in the, in the context of prayer being powerful, it is not only possible to know God through prayer, we can partner with God in holding back the work of the enemy and releasing blessings into specific situations. Have you ever thought of that? That you get to partner with God. You get to partner with Him in the advancement of the kingdom of God. That If you just sat and meditated on that thought, for 10, 15 minutes, that is enough to help us realize how much we depend upon God. James, the brother of Jesus, said it like this in uh, chapter 5 and verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Do you hear that? Prayer is power because prayer connects you to the power source. Jesus says it like this, and, and I've used this scripture before in this series. It says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. How powerful is your prayer? How powerful is it when you commune with God and the truth about who Jesus is in your life? Ultimately, as a church, the gates of hell cannot prevail against this confession. Which brings us to this thought of how to pray. And I've got four really quick ones, just four scriptures just to help us. The first is how do we pray? We pray in faith. Mark Chapter 11, verse 23 to 24, it says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, 
and it will be yours. So prayer, how to pray? Well, firstly, it must be in faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, you can't even approach God. And you see, when you have faith, your prayers are powerful and will be answered. The second is according to God's will. How to pray? According to God's will. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 to 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Thirdly, we ask, we, we approach God in prayer with a pure heart. Thank God it's Jesus who gives us a pure heart. James 4, 2-3 says this, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Hear how the pureness of their heart is, is being tested because they're doing things that people following God should not be doing. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have, hear this, because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly because you ask to spend on your passions. So it's really simply in prayer, asking God, are we asking from a pure heart or are we asking with a selfish motive? And fourthly, how to pray? Well, lastly, I think this is probably one of the best keys outside of faith is in the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. How releasing is it to understand that the Holy Ghost is interceding on our behalf? And also understanding that Jesus is before the Father interceding on our behalf. How much confidence does that give us in the will of God that we can ask in faith according to his will with a pure and perfect heart and in the power of an interceding Holy Ghost. There is so much to say on prayer, so much than what we can do in one message, obviously. But let me say this, nothing shifts without prayer. We could talk about Joshua, for example, going out into battle. He's leading his troops into the front line and and the leader of Israel at the time was Moses. And Moses was up on the mountain. What was Moses doing? Moses was praying to God with his hands held high. And as he was praying to God, they were winning the battle. You've got to understand that without prayer, we can achieve nothing. So much so that when Moses was getting tired with his arms in the air, Aaron and Hur came around and lifted his arms for him. Church, we've got to understand how important it is to gather around each other because you may be weak in a moment and your friend next to you, your brother or sister in Christ, might be able to come behind you and support you in prayer. How your leaders might be struggling through this season and you can pray for them and uphold them. Nothing shifts without prayer. Gathering around each other, gathering around your leaders and bringing the vision and the values and the purposes of the kingdom of God for our church, before the Lord himself. Binding and loosing, speaking forth in faith, taking ground first and foremost in the heavenlies as his church moves forward. Prayer really is a power shift from self-dependence to God-dependence. 
I recall sitting with our elders over four years ago now and stating that we're needing to increase the opportunities for prayer in our church. We needed to create a place for prayer. And uh, as I was reading this book in 2019, remember I've mentioned this book, as I was reading this book in 2019, I wrote notes in specifically around this chapter and how, and how it, was, it, was, it was April 2019. God increased my prayer life. God increased the prayer life in our church. And I was inspired again as I read this the other day. That here God was speaking to my heart back then. Four years and then two years and even again today. Because God hungers and desires a church that will seek him first. And I believe that we've been gradually adding and increasing opportunities for us to pray together opportunities for the leaders and the elders to come together, opportunities for the corporate body to come together, encouraging prayer in our homes. And I know early next year we'll probably end up doing a whole series on prayer. And, uh, and I think that would be an important thing for us because really we can't overcome the challenges and the storms of our world without prayer in our lives today. I think about last year and this year how prayer has helped me through so much as I've navigated COVID, as I've navigated the different personalities that have come in and come through our church, how, how I've navigated the busyness of my schedule and the busyness of the schedule that we are currently under as a church. And I can say I am more passionate today for this stuff because I know God's strategy is to pray, to get up, each morning, most mornings in the week, and to go for a walk and to pray in the Spirit, as I was talking to us earlier in the year as we did our Holy Spirit series, how important it is to pray in the Spirit and to trust God. I can tell you I couldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't for prayer in my life. And church, I, I'm presenting it in a way that you would be passionate for the opportunities of prayer. Passionate to come together as a praying community, each opportunity that's made to take that on board and say, I'm partnering with our church and our mission because the gates of hell will not prevail against God's strategy for his church. Gates of hell cannot prevail against a risen Christ and a church that is empowered by his authority and a church that is convicted at heart to advance the kingdom of God. And this comes from prayer, church. This comes from from waiting on God and spending time with Him. I want to read this to us as I begin to close today. It says, Prayer and fasting for revival. I think that's a very apt um, topic for us in this season. It is a time to increase the level and intensity of prayer in the church. Come on. All revivals begin with the call to repentance, which includes consecrating ourselves in prayer and fasting. Only God through prayer can help us stand against the attack of Satan upon our nation and enable us to see a spiritual breakthrough. The Bible records many revivals that began with the consecration of the leadership and the people through prayer and fasting. Let me begin, let me, let me just add there how through last year's COVID, 
when we were able to come together as a leadership, we spent many Sunday nights praying with our church and praying for you. Praying that God would speak deeply into your hearts and capturing his heart for our city and even our nation. The Bible records many revivals that began with the consecration of the leadership and the people through prayer and fasting. Jehoshaphat, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, David, Jehoiakim, Daniel, Joel, Jesus, the Antioch Church and the Apostle Paul all spent time in intensive prayer and fasting. This resulted in revival, personal empowerment to ministry, a revelation of God's purpose or a supernatural change of circumstances. John Wesley said, God does nothing except in answer to believing prayer. Pray for the entry of God's kingdom and God's will into our world. Prayer makes a difference in our world. Prayer really changes things. I'd like to read the second part of this page, which says putting it all to work. Because what's the point of talking about prayer unless we can be challenged to begin to make this a priority in our life? It says, it is easy to become so incredibly busy working for God that we neglect taking time to simply be with Him and hear His voice. I've got to tell you how much that spoke to me the other day once again as I read that. Can I say that again? It is easy to become so incredibly busy working for God that we neglect taking time to simply be with Him and hear His voice. Like Martha, we become troubled and stressed about many things and forget the one thing that is most needed, time in prayer. We must recognize that our human efforts alone will not be enough to see the church fulfill its destiny. On the other hand, prayer alone will not be enough. However, bold action accompanied by fervent prayer will see mighty things done for God. Prayer is the engine room of the church. Let's make a power shift by becoming a people of passionate prayer. This shift is vital in helping your church to be transformed. And if that's the goal, if that's the aim, become a transformed church, transformed in the likeness of Jesus, transformed that we would be capable to stand up against the attack of hell, capable to stand and stamp God's authority and to take back the ground which the enemy has stolen from us. And if that's what it's about, then it must begin here with a power shift. Here are some simple ideas to apply this to our life. Application is the key. Number one, develop a daily habit of prayer. Start with a short time of prayer and gradually increase it. You know, it might start with five minutes a day. If you can only manage five minutes a day, that's okay. That's okay. Five minutes is better than zero minutes. But gradually increase that. Get up a little bit earlier maybe. You'll go to bed just that 10 minutes later and spend that time with the Lord. Number two, thank God daily for all the good things in your life. Why? Because gratitude is a massive key to positioning yourself to hear from God. Spend time worshipping and expressing your love with Him. Now, use praise and worship music to assist if you must. You know, stick your headphones in, plug it into your TV and your sound system, blast it out as loud as you can. 
I, I'm encouraged by some of the videos on social media at the moment of apartment blocks coming together and just singing worship to Jesus across the, across the uh, causeway. Number three, make a list of prayer requests and bring them regularly before God. What does this mean? Well, this might mean that you might be passionate about some things and maybe once a day or one thing a day you can pray and bring it passionately before God. Spend time praying for yourself. That's a pretty easy thing to do for most of us. I find that a little bit hard praying for myself. But for most of us, we can easily pray for the things because we know what's going on in our heart. Um, for those you know, pray for someone, your neighbor, for your brother in Christ or something like that. For opportunities to witness, for wisdom in decision making. That's a big one. For help in times to difficulty, for anything that you are worried about. Cast your cares on Jesus. Number four, take time to listen to God speaking to you. Use a journal or notebook and write things down that God talks to you about and that he tells you. You know, that's a good thing, a good step to add to your personal prayer. These are just ideas, but ideas that could just transform your prayer life. Number five, get with other Christians and pray together. I think this is a powerful one. Do so an example I've given here is do so in your grow groups. You know, Make sure you spend a good time, 10, 15, 20 minutes praying for one another, praying for the things that, that um, God's talking to you about, praying for your neighbours. And, and maybe put out an empty seat in your grow group and just say, Lord, I'm praying that this seat would be filled with someone who doesn't know you. Now, what an amazing opportunity we get to pray when we gather together in groups. Or when we go on walks and go on an exercise, you know, you can walk with two people at the moment. So you and another person, you can go for a walk, take your masks off and just pray to Jesus together. Pray for your community. Pray for the neighborhood, whatever it is as you walk around. I tell you what, that'll unburden your heart more than whinging one to another. Number six, be faithful to attend any and all church prayer meetings. Can I stress that? The church puts on these things not to look good they put these on because tr prayer truly transforms our heart imagine if 150 or 200 people turned up to our prayer nights how powerful and encouraging that would be could you imagine walking out of this place after 150 people gathered for midweek prayer come on church i could imagine it i can imagine going into the rest of that week full of courage full of the power of the holy ghost ready to witness for Jesus because we've been praying up a storm for the kingdom of God. Number seven, how about offering to be a prayer partner for one of your pastors or one of your key leaders in the church? Ask for specific things that you can pray for. You know, um, I've got one or two people that let me know that they're praying for me constantly and I am so grateful that they are. How amazing is it when we can pray for a brother or sister in Christ? Number eight, read some good books on prayer to help improve your prayer life. You know, there might be some really good books out there and there might be some rubbish books out there, but in some of those books, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Take the things that God's talking to you and apply them to your life and get rid of the rest. Number nine, you could find a prayer mentor, someone that, that's a, um, that you enjoy uh, their prayers and you, you like the start, lifestyle that they have of prayer and, and you can maybe ask them to help you grow in your prayer and number 10 my favorite prayer without ceasing in the holy ghost everywhere you walk just releasing the holy ghost in praying in tongues believing that god is moving mighty things in your life church that's my encouragement for us today
We can't be a, a church that's about the kingdom of God unless we're prepared for a power shift. And power comes directly from the one who owns it, who is it, because God is all-powerful. It started with Psalm 62 and verse 11. God is powerful. How amazing is it when we connect through intimacy and prayer with our God? How amazing and transformative it will be to your life, to my life, to our life together when we put God first and begin to pray in the Spirit and pray in our language and pray through the Word and pray through every opportunity that we have. Can we invite God into our life today? Can we invite Him in our circumstances you might be at home wanting to get out and get some fresh air well today's an amazing time to do that let's start by drawing that line in the sand and saying God I haven't spoken to you enough lately I haven't gone to my prayer closet I haven't drawn aside in those times like Jesus so readily did Lord I'm sorry I'm sorry that I have not put you first church is that our heart if we can put that as our heart today I can tell you the birds will sound louder the sun will seem brighter the temperature will seem warmer and you will be full of joy let's pray and then our, our young brother Reuben is going to lead us in a, just in an item a song of talking to Jesus Father we thank you for this time where we can share your word I pray that through the stories that we've heard today and the, the scriptures that have been encouraging through Paul and James and Jesus himself, that we can see how important prayer is. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the times that I have not prayed or believed. I'm sorry for the times that I have put busyness over my time with you. I'm sorry, Lord, that I have done things and not asked for your strength. Forgive me. Forgive us. Just in this moment when we're saying sorry. Grant us this repentance, Lord, this change of mind, this change of perspective where we can say, Lord, we trust you. Draw us in our faithful love to believe in you, to invite you into our lives and to pray regularly. Lord, we, we accept that your joy is our strength. How can we connect to joy if we're not intimately involved with the provider of all joy? We thank you for the power that is in Christ and his testimony. We thank you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit on our heart this morning. And Lord, we want to be a church of purpose, a church that's implementing your strategies. And today we ask that we would shift in power to become a praying church, a praying community, to see this community shift the kingdom of God. Bless our people at home. Bless those who are under my voice. Lord, as they go back, maybe they get the opportunity to listen to this again. May they be encouraged to keep praying and talking with Jesus. We thank you for the wonderful opportunity it is to spend with you. Be blessed. In Jesus' name, God, we thank you. We love you. Brother. God bless you, church.